Hello, this is Elizabeth Mower, president of BEI. And I'm John Brown, the founder of BEI. Each episode, we take you into the world of exit planning, sharing the stories, struggles, and opportunities of business owners and their advisors. I'm here today with Michael Beck. Michael and I have known each other for many years and have done some work together. And uh, he and I have been talking lately and I wanted him to come and join us on the podcast so that we could talk a little bit about the kinds of things that Mike is seeing uh, across the closely held and mid-market business space and the different sort of trends that are happening. And particularly, I'm really interested in some things that I'd like to talk about today connected with the idea of leadership teams and our ability to appropriately sort of assess the top management or the leadership team in a company, why we wanna do that, how we should be doing that and what we're seeing uh, across the board as trends. So Mike, I'll let you kind of give me a little bit about, uh, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and where you're from? You bet, and, and thank you, Elizabeth. Thanks for having me today. So um, I've been an executive coach and doing leadership development for a little over 20 years right now. And uh, prior to that, uh, did all sorts of things and it held all kinds of ex executive roles in uh, finance and business development in various industries, lived overseas doing it as well. And, um, and then got into professional executive coaching. And then over the, the years, my, my business has begun shifting towards transition work. And, um, and that's how uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth and I first connected. Um, I, I used to live in Denver and, um, uh, participate in BEI events and uh, I network around the country. And uh, so we thought some of the insights that I've been gathering, <clears throat> excuse me, as I've networked around the country and done some research might be worthwhile sharing today. Right. And so I think, you know, we're, we are constantly being uh, asked questions and asked for resources from both business owners and business advisors alike about, you know, what are we, what are we seeing as the trends in planning for the future of a closely held business? And also, what do we think are the things that are the most important and what can business owners do today that will help them be better prepared, prepared for whatever transition they have? And so, and so uh, first let's talk about kind of your perspective that you come from, because I think it helps us kind of understand the, um, the advice that you have for advisors and business owners alike. So let's talk about, you know, what do you, where are you coming from? So what is your, everyone has a take on the market and take on the data. Tell me what yours is so that we can kind of set the scene. Great. I, I would love to. It's, it's something I'm passionate about and have been talking about for a couple of years now. So, I mean, everyone has talked about the, the boomer wave, the silver tsunami, whatever you want to call it, and uh, also have kind of been wondering, where is it? Because it, it's apparent it hasn't really kicked in in full force. And so after thinking about it quite a bit and researching, uh, here's what I've come to understand, is that, let's say back in the 1970s, life expectancy was about 72 years old. And people were retiring at 65. 
Well, now life expectancy is about 10 years older and people are retiring about 10 years later. Many of the advisors I speak with around the country say their clients are in their mid seventies when they're retiring. Having said that, the leading edge of the baby boom turns 75 this year in 2021. And so as near as I can tell, talking with, with again, advisors around the country, this wave has begun. It began at the end of last year. And I predict it's going to increase significantly year after year for the next three or four years and stay at a very high level. So that's, that's exciting for everybody. And it's a good reason to be us talk, for us to be talking about this today. But there's another side to this that I, I really want to talk about because I think it's, it's, it's critical. Um, and I'll give you the short version. There, uh, there are about uh, 4.5% of boomers own a business own a, a, a company that employs people. And about 3% of Gen Xers, the tier below, own a business. So the fact that one's three, one's four and a half, and it's not that surprising and, and, and human nature being what it is, you'd expect that um, the, the Gen Xers percentage would rise to four and a half percent as well. And so it's not surprising until you think about it and then it becomes alarming. And I want to explain why it's alarming that rise in going from three to four and a half percent only represents one third of the boomer businesses. And that means two thirds of the boomer businesses will not find a buyer, an individual buyer. It's math. So I've had people say, yeah, but there's a lot of money chasing deals and there's strategic acquisitions. And that's all very true. And from all the research I've done, uh, you can do your own. Typically, the the close rate on those deals, private equity, M&A, strategic acquisition, it ranges from a 15 to 25% close rate. Let's be generous and say 25% of the remaining businesses find money, find a deal. If you do the math, all, all you need is paper and pencil. You take the two-thirds of the boomer businesses that can't find a buyer, say three-quarters of those won't find money, it calculates to a full 50% of boomer businesses will not find a buyer and will not find money in the coming years. It's a huge number. That leads us to our conversation today. Yeah, and I think that we're seeing data that is, you know, very similar. People can agree or disagree with your approach to the numbers, but the fact is that lots of businesses, high percentage of businesses do not find buyers, end up being shut down. That's going to continue to be true. It's probably the same uh, percentage that you're talking about and that everyone in the um, business space, business planning space, business transaction space will say that there's a significant percentage of businesses that are just not good candidates for whatever reason. And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. what you and I are trying to do is we're trying to take, we're trying to give advisors and owners advice that will help them get out of the category, the percentage of businesses that are just not good candidates for a future transaction. Uh, and get them into the category of the businesses that are great candidates, great targets, very ideal, very desirable. Yep. And that it doesn't matter to us whether they want to transition ownership to their kids or their employees or a private equity firm 
uh, or, or a strategic buyer, it doesn't really make any difference to us. We just want to create businesses that, that are, are able to kind of write their own ticket. And right. Yeah. No, no question. I was going to add even more color to support what you just said, yeah. <clears throat> because I've been working with a number of the uh, wealth management companies around the country, UBS and RBC and Bernstein. And one of the interesting uh, other statistics is that typically 85 to 90% of a business owner's wealth is tied up in that business. Mm -hmm. And if they can't sell it, their wealth disappears. And so as advisors, I, I think we have an obligation to help owners as best we can pull that wealth out for the, for their own benefit. And everybody wins. We get clients and get paid. They get their wealth. The company stays in business. The families who are get employed, stay employed. And so I think it's a very admirable thing to do, but the problem is many owners are very complacent about this right now. And so I think our job as advisors is to begin sounding the bell. Yep. It's true. So why don't we just do it right now? Okay. Let's say, you know, I have a company, I've done really well. My company is profitable. So that's good. I figured check that one off. Mm -hmm. uh, it's growing. I can check that off. I have successfully delegated a lot of what I do to some other people because I know that that's a thing I'm supposed to do as an owner. So check that off. Um, I'm in an industry that is expected to do well. I can check that off. So, you know, pretty much I'm good and I don't really need to do anything is maybe what I'm thinking. But if we look a little bit more closely, I may not, I'm, maybe I haven't done all the steps that I should. So let's say I get connected with you and like, you know, what are, you, what are the things that business owners should really be focusing on, thinking about, maybe paying closer attention to? Because if I've got people and they seem to be doing a good job, is that not enough? Why is that, why is that not enough? Good question. And let me clarify something. We don't do exit planning. We don't do planning, succession planning, strategic stuff. We do leadership development and leadership assessment, successor development, successor recruiting. So typically, we get involved when uh, an advisor, like perhaps one who's uh, listening to, to, to this podcast right now is, or um, if an owner is listening to this and they're working with an advisor, that person would be helping them appreciate what they need to be looking at. To that point, um, I, I always encourage advisors to help their clients understand they need to do a preliminary due diligence. And a due diligence is typically poking at the business the way a potential buyer would. Do it in advance of going to market so you uncover any issues. That's what you're getting at. And, and so I always mm -hmm. encourage advisors to help encourage them, the, the client to number one, do a uh, quality of earnings report and number do a quality of leadership report. Now the quality of earnings uncovers a lot of what you were talking about where things that, where, where an owner has blind spots. They don't realize that they, they've got a market concentration or a customer concentration or um, it, it, the business dependent really on one or two key people that may or may not stay. And, there's a whole slew of, of things that a, a proper quality of earnings report will look at. The, the reason they need to be doing this 
due diligence in advance is because as that surplus of businesses grows in the market, buyers are going to become less willing to compromise. They don't need to with so many businesses to choose from. They're going to uh, try to drive down multiples and they be, they'll be much more selective. So we need to make sure our clients are positioned as strongly as possible before going into market. So the due diligence, uh, the uh, quality of leader of, sorry, quality of earnings report needs to be done in advance. We developed a quality of leadership report. Our, our research has shown in talking with uh, business valuation experts around the country that the quality of the leadership team affects price as much as 15 to 20%, a very large amount. And um, every owner is going to, to claim their leadership team is great and not a problem. Um, and of course, buyers don't always see it quite that way. So what we did as an example is we, we created this quality of leadership report where we do a, a, a comprehensive 360 degree assessment of each leader and then consolidate it into a, uh, a team report, the quality of leadership report. And what, what that does is one of two things. Either it highlights a problem so you can address it before you go to market. Because again, I, I think once, once the surplus builds, if a buyer sees an issue, they're not going to try to figure out how to work with it. They're just going to move on to the next candidate. So either it's going to uh, uh, highlight a problem where you, so you can address it, or you end up with a, a significant objective assessment of the leadership team. You can hand a written document to the, uh, to the buyer and say, you don't, no need to take my word for it. Here's a report, objective 360 report. Mm -hmm. It produces mm -hmm. a, a, okay. a 30 to 40 page report on each, each of the leaders and a summary sheet showing a heat map. It shows highlights and lowlights. And so it's an excellent tool. Well, let me, I, I had a chance to take a look at one of these before we talked and they're just really interesting, you know, and, and assessing each person on the leadership team, probably not new. Maybe people have done something like that before they did a, you know, they did some kind of assessment as part of their team meeting some time ago or something like that, but putting it together for the purpose of explaining the quality of the leadership team to a buyer is something that I really just have not heard about. And I looked through some of the categories that you're evaluating and, and so I have some questions about that. Go for there it. are all different kinds of things, so many different categories that you're looking at. And I noticed that some of them are kind of the things we think about, you know, I, I'm from kind, you know, kind of a left brainish kind of a background or perspective. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, it's obviously about, you know, their performance and their skill set and their ability to, um, I don't know, to process information and to think strategically and things like that. So there's, and that, and that's on your report, these sort of, sort of traditional kind of things we think of as leadership qualities and things like that. Then there's a bunch of other things on the report too, that are things like, you know, you know, uh, empathy and their, and a person's ability to, you know, to, um, you know, I can't remember what it's called, emotional sort of stability and control, um, emotional control. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, like connections and things like that. And so how are these two things, this is, this is what I really want to know more about. How are these two things 
working together. I assume it's, you know, it's very much the case from what I can tell that the sum is greater than the, the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And so when you're looking at a, at a leadership team, like does everyone have to be really empathetic? Some, do we just have enough, have to have enough of it? And how does that connect to and maybe enhance those more traditional leadership skills? What What is going on with these different, very, very diverse types of uh, areas that you're measuring? Good questions. Uh, so let me let me put it in a context here. I think one of the challenges with with how an owner develops people, whether it's a successor, in other words, someone internal uh, to run the company, or they prepare their leadership team to continue on after they're gone. I, I think often owners help them master the mechanics of the business. So they're very good at doing the business. But those things actually don't teach them leadership and strategy and even ownership thinking. And so the, the assessment goes into that a little bit more. I mean, one of the things about leadership, um, it's really interesting. I, years ago, before I wrote my leadership book, I got thinking as to, everyone talks about the fact leadership's important and here's how you be, become a better leader, but no one really wrote about why leadership actually does make that difference. Now, what I realized is that great leadership brings out the best in people. That, that's why I entitled my book, Eliciting Excellence. The, the thing of it is that a great leader, an effective leader needs to be good at the interpersonal things, being empathetic. I'm not saying at all that they need to be uh, touchy-feely or that they need to um, accept mediocrity, just the opposite. Mm -hmm. the, the most successful hard-driving companies the leaders are excellent at their interpersonal skills. They understand the difference between strategies and tactics. And many, many executives I've worked with over 20 years do not understand the difference. And if you, if you, uh, for instance, try to solve a symptom instead of the underlying problem, you end up with more problems, more issues. And so all, all these things together elevate someone from an excellent manager of the business to a leader of the business. Right, and what it seems like you're, one of the things you might be saying, so correct me if I'm wrong, is that is that you can have a great, a person who has great technical skills or great, um, let's say even strategic thinking, you know, or, or vision, and that's extremely valuable, but if they don't have some of these other skills that allow them to bring everyone else with them, the company's not going to perform at its highest level. And same, if I'm all, if I'm really highly skilled or qualified or rated in the in some of the softer, more human aspects of leadership, but I don't understand uh, strategy or I don't have the I don't have the vision for what the company should do, then I'm also going to fail as a leader, right? Exactly right on both counts. So there, there's a, a saying in our profession that <clears throat> culture eats strategy for lunch, which is a cute way of saying what you said. You can have the greatest strategy in the world, but if you don't get buy-in, which comes from the culture, if you don't get buy-in, mm -hmm. um, you get mediocre results.
and rather to have a well-executed modest strategy than a fantastic strategy poorly executed right, right. so um uh it, i i think it is critical to have uh, a good strategic thinking approach so you end up with good strategies but if you don't get buy-in you don't get res the results you want and there's a big big difference between uh i'll call it compliance and commitment and so a leader the owner of a company can say well you know what this is what we're doing now go and do it and he will get compliance he or she will get compliance and many owners and leaders do that that's their style problem is is that gap between compliance and commitment a committed workforce will go the extra mile they'll they'll be more resourceful and you get better results it's been proven over and over again over time and so these you, you really if you want to be a great uh leader whether you're and going to end up as the owner of the company or you're going to be a key leader in a, a newly acquired company it's essential to both be able to of course you know to know the business but again to think strategically to be able to uh get buy-in to have these these high interpersonal skills and uh and of course good decision making as well mm -hmm. well give me can you give me any it doesn't have to be your number one example but just maybe you know from the last company that you worked with or something that you've been seeing can you give me an example of you know, one of the most common areas where you are seeing a leadership team really need to make some changes and and i don't know if it's possible in a in a short podcast you know what's the first step that they make towards that change but what are the what's the area that or one of the areas where it's most likely that a company's leadership team is going to be um, I, in, need, I, I, in need of support. Thank you. Thanks for asking. And I've seen this in a number of clients over in the recent year or two. It just seems that no matter how good they are in their job, how good they are in, in getting results in the area they are responsible for, they have a very hard time thinking uh, expansively. In other words, instead of thinking narrow, narrowly in their own department, to ask them to think about the betterment of the entire company and the implications to different departments within the company, they seem to have a very hard time doing that. And, and of course, that's a problem. And so, I mean, frankly, some are able to make that, that shift and others aren't. And so, I mean, co coaching isn't magic. You know, you can't take someone who's not well suited to a, a position and make them suited. And and unfortunately, sometimes we have to tell them this is not a good person for this this role. Other times, I mean, in many years, uh, many times over the last year, twenty years, um, you can take somebody who's open to shifting. They're bright. They're they want to be better, and they just blossom. And so let's say if I, you know, have put, I've had my head down, I've been focusing on, uh, you know, growing the sales of the business and I'm on the leadership team, but I don't really understand the product development side because we've been really, you know, respectful of each other's areas and there's somebody else who's responsible for that. But now you've come in and you've identified that we're a little bit too siloed on our leadership team and we don't have the ability to think 
uh, or integrate issues from each other's areas of expertise or responsibility, then what's the first thing you're going to tell us to do? Do we have to go like shadow each other? Do we need to go have lunch with each other? What's the first thing we're going to do in this particular example of needing to needing to be more aware of each other's I, I'm, uh, areas? I'm thinking a, a drum circle would help. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, mm -hmm. but in all seriousness. And right after that. Yes. I, no, uh, and that's a good question. And <clears throat> typically these issues aren't arising until there's a plan that's that's starting to be put into place. So you don't have years and years and years to work on this, right? Um, and everyone's busy, very busy anyway. And so shadowing, no one can afford to, the time to shadow effectively. It's a good strategy, but not for this. So, um, I always recommend that the owner be involved in helping to expand their vision and their thinking. So for instance, if you had a weekly session where the owner sat down with the two or three leaders right below and helped them each understand what the other was going through and strategize with one another, but the owner is the catalyst to that. So often in these situations, I'm actually coaching the owner as well as maybe one or two of the, of the executives because the owner has to do this just right. Sure, and I guess, and I, I would say it's been my observation that the owner often does understand multiple areas of the business because they had to be responsible for those in the early days. So what you're saying is that the owner can be sort of the connector or the translator between Absolutely. different people on the leadership team to get them where they're trying to go. In, in fact, um, I, I distinguish between coaching and mentoring. So I predominantly do coaching and my team, we do coaching, but there are certain things, mentoring things that only the owner can do. Only the owner can allow them, for instance, to make a decision. I can't allow them to make a decision for the company. Only the owner can share past mistakes and the lessons that they learned. Only the owner can, can, can communicate, clarify the company's culture and what it means and why it's important. I can sort of poke at it, but the owner's the master of that. So if you if we really want to develop successors or, or develop a leadership team that's that's a rock star on a takeover, um, the owner needs to play a, an important role in that besides getting coached. Because as a coach, I can say things to an executive that the owner can't say, right? Because mm -hmm. they know I'm on their side and I can beat them up if I need to beat them up. Where the owner, I mean, there are all these dynamics and blind spots and history and stuff. So both both of us play a role. Right. Well, I think that this is ultimately all of this is is bringing us back full circle to the reason why we plan, which is that making change takes time. Making change is worth it. Mm -hmm. uh, as you pointed out a few minutes ago, can have a significant effect on the bottom line in this conversation that's the the value of the business and and uh my experience with business owners is that they want the best for their company and their family and their employees and uh, and they are dissatisfied with anything less than the best that they can possibly do so if uh, so i think it's probably well worth it for us to maybe learn a little bit more about 
doing something that's like quality of leadership, I think it's a really interesting idea and and something that could make a, a measurable, quantifiable really yep. difference in the in the value of a business or its likelihood to succeed in a transition. And, and the, uh, let me add to that, it, it's extraordinarily affordable. It's very reasonably priced because I think it's a good service to provide our main businesses development and recruiting of successors. So this quality of leadership report, um, it's just good to do. It's it's really pretty inexpensive. Um, Perfect. And and I, I created PDFs of sample reports and sample quality of leadership, sample individual reports from uh, that people can download on our website. I think you have it on the BEI website, don't you? Yes, if you can go to, for listeners who want to go to exitplanning.com, go to our podcast page and all the resources connected there along with the, uh, in the place where you find this recording. And tell us again, what is your website, Mike? Oh, uh, our, our website is elicitingexcellence.com. E-L-I-C-I-T-I-N-G, excellence. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you being here today. This is a topic that we've not spent a lot of time talking about, but it's pretty much a deal maker or breaker for a lot of businesses. So it's absolutely critical. I hope that we can talk about it more. I would really encourage people who are listening, if you're an advisor or a business owner, go take a look at uh, the sample reports because they're, they're fascinating. And while they won't tell you what's going on in your company, you'll be able, it will immediately start the wheels turning. That's what it did for me. So uh, thinking about yourself and how you fit into these and the people on your team. So Mike, I appreciate you being here today. This has been really great. I hope that we get to do it again. And uh, and your resources are just extremely valuable. So thanks for the work that you're doing. And, and thank you so much for having me today, Elizabeth. I enjoyed it as well. Thanks everyone for listening today. We'll see you next time. Gain the insight and knowledge that thousands of business owners and their advisors have used to plan for the future. The BEI membership equips you with the proven process that enables owners to exit their business on their terms. Receive access to case studies, podcasts like the one you're listening to now, a resource toolkit, and so much more. Cement your position as the trusted advisor to your most successful clients. Get started today by visiting exitplanning.com forward slash membership. That's exitplanning.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening. Join us for our next episode. For more content like this, please visit exitplanning.com.